Miami. What's up, family? So today's topic is going to be really, really, well, I don't want to say difficult, but it's going to be straightforward. I'm going to be honest and not hold back how I felt about me having to experience my father's death. And maybe some of you that will hear it will understand my perspective and why I chose the method of grieving the way that I did or reacted the way I did in certain situations. Now, looking back on it, of course, everything is always 2020 in hindsight. And now that I'm much older and it's been 10 years since I've lost my father, a little over 10 years since I lost my father, I understand why in some of those instances I reacted the way I did and some of the structure that was missing or maybe that was wrong or some expectations that I had that I shouldn't have had or the ideas around death that I had or knowledge that I will lack of knowledge that I had about it at such a young age. So let's start with a little background story on my father. Um, He was from Galveston, Texas. Now, we are Creole. Well, he was Creole or however people want to look at that. But he has family, his mother, my grandmother from the Cane River area of Louisiana. So my father's, most of my father's family, for the most part, were in Louisiana and Texas. And there were some that lived, you know, in other places like out in California and stuff like that. But for the most part, the bulk of the family, to my understanding, was in the Texas area. So I was born in Texas. I was born in a little town called Lufkin. And I remember when I first grew up, my parents had money because we were, you know, where they were in the military. I mean, I suppose I was too as a dependent. But Early on in life, I had a very comfortable life with two parents, a very nice setup, and I remember being a very happy child. But I also remember liking my dad a whole lot more than my mother. Now, at this point in my life, my mother wasn't a bad person to me. We just didn't have a whole lot in common, it seemed like. When my dad was outside, you know, doing dad things, I'd want to be around dad. When my mom was in the kitchen doing mom things, I wasn't interested in that. Um, If anything, my dad was the one who taught me how to cook, not my mother. (laughs) But I had a pretty good relationship with my dad. He taught me a lot of strength. He taught me a lot of self-reliance. He tested me a lot. There's a lot of cool stories I'm going to be able to tell of exchanges that we had between daughter and father. But I had a pretty good relationship with him. My dad taught me how to fight. He taught me how to stand up for myself. He, you know, we, we would play sports together. We would play basketball together. Like, we would play video games together. Like, my dad was probably my first best friend, my first adult best friend, being a little person, being a child. So we had a pretty good relationship. Now, there was a point where things in my environment or my household changed, and I noticed that we didn't live in a nice place anymore. We lived in maybe a smaller, not-so-nice place. When I would ask to have certain things to eat for food, I'd be told, no, we can't afford that, you're going to eat this. And my parents would also, you know, I, I would notice they would get frustrated with me for asking, but it's not like I'm a, you know, a, a grown kid and they've explained the concept of job, money, income, and expenses yet. I just realized that my environment changed. 
But equally, I learned because of their responses to stop asking for things because I didn't like the energy that I would get back from it. Now, my dad, he really wasn't that kind of guy. He would just kind of like, you know, kind of shrug it off or come up with a another cheaper alternative. My, my mother, she wasn't very polite about it at all. <laughs> so... But when um, that shift in my environment happened, I owed a, uh, it wasn't just a shift in my living situation or where we lived or the type of things we had or the food we had. There was a shift in their relationship dynamics as well from this very loving, beautiful home that I grew up in was no longer that loving and beautiful home full of warmth and joy that I experienced at my very young age of only being in life for a few years. My parents were arguing a lot, a lot, all the time. Sometimes things in the house got broken. I ended up going to live in South Carolina for a while. We came back to Texas. Then I went back to South Carolina for a while because that's where my mother's side of the family is from. And I just remember things just kind of went downhill right around the age of 13 when my dad was living with us out in South Carolina and he just packed up his stuff one morning and he left now leave it to my mother to tell it she'll probably be like he was on some old fuck shit and he wanted to go off and do whatever with whatever women but i literally observed this as my life for several years as a adolescent to a preteen of my mother starting fights with him I think he just got tired and left I'm not siding with him because like my emotional response to that was anger like why do I get left with the one that's always angry i.e my mother why why does my dad get to go back to Texas and live the good life and be around that side of the family that's better than her side of the family and we're not picking sides or favorites here either because equally they both aren't the greatest because people aren't in general I but there were some different dynamics between the different parts of the family so if I had to say that I favored one above the other it would be my father's family hands down over my mother's family just based off of the experiences that I've had with family members from each side and how they interact and talk to me and what I found you know comforting versus you know uncomforting or uncomfortable or discomfort so it really it really changed the tempo. It was a changing, pivotal moment in my life. I was 13 years old. Um, my dad walked out <laughs> on us. Things went from us being like lower middle class to like pretty much not poor. We never ended up in Section 8 or anything like that. My mother kept a roof over our head and you know clothes on my back, food in my mouth. But when it came to like maybe me wanting to do a field trip or an after school activity, the answer was always no because she just didn't have the money at the time. She was now a single parent and I can understand why perhaps that made her so bitter. It made her so upset. It made her so unhappy. But that was the choice she decided to make. But equally at the same time, again, 13, becoming a woman, about to get my first menstrual cycle for the first time, my breasts are starting to develop. I don't have that strong male figure in my life that I once had. My dad had a talk with me maybe when I was like 10 and he didn't, he didn't make it too gory. He didn't make it too uncomfortable. He just very calmly looked over in the car one day with me and he said, hey, I know you're a tomboy <laughs> and I know you like to, you know, play basketball and cr climb trees and, you know, that's just all cool. 
I want my daughter to be tough, but you don't let no little boy touch you in any place that he shouldn't be touching you. And if they do touch you, you whoop his ass and then you go get an adult. But you don't let a little boy touch you. At the time, no one had really spoken to me about sex or anything like that, but I kind of read through the lines and heard about like other kids, you know, grabbing each other's crotches and stuff. And, you know, not that I found that shit gross or anything, but at the same time, I kind of did. I was always like, if someone's going to touch my crotch, I want it to be someone that like I really, really like and that they really like me, not to just be going around touching crotches. You know, that was kind of a thing that I experienced uh, <laughs> in an elementary school when we moved out to like this small bodunk ass town that I went to and kids were going around like sitting in the back seats like grabbing butts and crotches and stuff and I wanted no part of it so yes I was that you know proper English speaking kid light-skinned kid who sat at the front of the bus I totally didn't get bullied for that absolutely did I actually got in like two fights in elementary school because I I was light-skinned so this is because my father left <laughs> out of my life and I got, you know, shipped off to the country. But, you know, at the age of 13, I'm becoming more of a woman and I don't have this strong male figure in my life anymore. And I don't know how to respond to this change in dynamics other than just to get mad because I would still go visit my father every sun, you know, every summer. And we'd be in Houston or Port Arthur or Beaumont, Texas, all these like smaller towns you know opposed to Houston or whatever because that's where some of my family lived at I mean my my grandmother she had a house in Port Arthur Texas you know before she passed and that was a house I spent many a summers at and I just remember that eventually when I got to high school and I graduated there were no more summers in Texas anymore And so I was beginning to get used to not having my dad in my life. What started off as the once a week calls then became once a month, holidays, my birthday, his birthday. And I will be honest, sometimes when he called, I was just angry he called me on in, on Father's Day one time, and I didn't even bother to tell him that I loved him. And happy Father's Day, I just annoyingly answered the phone and spoke to him. And very awkwardly, now that I look back on the, the emotional and social cues that I heard, you know, and how he said things, he was hurt. But I guess he equally wasn't in a place to be able to talk about what was going on or how to get it out. There was probably some level of guilt he felt as a parent as well. And I wasn't helping by not being receptive to him at all. But I'm the teenager in this situation. He was the adult. So, you know, there's that. I ended up joining the military just to get away from my abusive mother. She used to beat me a lot uh, with brooms, belts, you know, anything that she could get her hands on. She was just an angry woman at this point in her life. And I joined the military just to get away from her. Uh, we were poor. We were poor. So like me going to college or, you know, getting the Pell Grant, all that shit's cool. But like I had no guidance. I had no direction. You know, it's a racist state. South Carolina is a very racist state. 
So whenever I would try to go to the study halls or the tutoring halls to get help, like the people in there didn't really want to help me or the student aides weren't available. It just wasn't a very good place to try to do anything with your life. It just seems like you would take like one step forward, but somebody would be there to remind you that you're a nigger. So, (laughs) you know, you're a second class citizen or you're not even, you know, you're only three fifths of a citizen, you know, as the old slave saying goes. But, you know, I ended up dropping out of college after my first two semesters because I didn't I still did not have any guidance. I still didn't have any strong role models in my life to help me, male or female at this point. You know, I'm an only child. I, you know, I don't have any brothers or sisters, so it's just me. So it's not like I got used to having people to rely on anyway. So my I made decisions to just join the military, just, well, just to get away from my mother, just to maybe try and create a new life for me. And I go off and I do all this and, you know, I graduate college and I come to Houston one summer, I want to say it was probably 07 or 08, a little bit before he died. And I was visiting my cousins. They stayed out on the north side of Houston. And my dad was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And, you know, he's really, really proud of me. And I am not having it. (laughs) I am not amused with this man. You know, I still haven't properly dealt with the emotions from him leaving me at the age of 13 and even though I spent every summer with him summers to me just they weren't acceptable they weren't enough I loved my dad I wanted to live with him and anytime that I asked to go live with him I mean I don't really know what kind of like deuce bigelow bullshit my dad was on but sometimes (laughs) he would be in Dallas sometimes he would be in Austin sometimes he'd be living with my aunt sometimes he'd be living with some other lady that's not my mother so he was getting around for sure which is why I probably never ended up like being able to live with him because he didn't have a stable life anyway and that's fine but we're at this family meeting it is dinner and I can tell that he knows that I'm still upset with him but again we don't actually have an organic conversation about it we just have this weird exchange and tension between us and then you know, he leaves and I go on about my way. I can equally tell that maybe my aunt or my uncle, they know what's going on. But again, no one says anything to me. And I'm maybe 22, 23 at this time and very immature. And no one is trying to take any type of initiative here or guide me. And I just, I don't know, like I said, I didn't really grow up much around either side of my family because my parents moved around and back and forth a lot. So I was really, for the most part, always just around them. I only saw my other family members when someone died, had a funeral or like it was, you know, holidays or something like that. So I don't have a whole lot of memories or stories or, you know, relationship bonds with cousins saying, oh, remember this time when blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, I just don't. I was just, it was just always just me and then just with my parents. But I can tell that they know that something is wrong, but no one's doing anything to try to correct it. And I guess I always, since I don't know what it's like to be in a quote unquote family, or I had this idea what being in a family meant that you would have these people around you to guide you, these older people with wisdom, these parental figures, that these people would always try to do what's best for the little people that being molded to one day take their place. Absolutely not. (laughs) People have the ability and the opportunity to make choices every day. And some people will just choose the easier one. And the easier one is always typically kind of the one with the least amount of payout 
and it's the shitty one, but it's also the easiest one. Well, I decide in 2009 that I'm tired of working at the police department. I'm over trying to be a black female cop in a mostly white department. I mean, I think that's law enforcement, like 99% of the places in America anyway, but I'm just tired of trying to make myself fit a personality type or occupational model that I don't even like. So I end up leaving the police department and moving to Houston. But my mother wasn't comfortable with me coming to Houston by myself at 24 years old. So she was like, I'm going to ride with you there and I'm going to take a plane back. And that's exactly what we did. So I drove the 16 hours and then she took a plane back. Well, I want to say it was the morning that I was hitting the border and I didn't know it at the time. My father had passed away September 11th of 2009. Irony, right? Um, it was an unexpected death. He got accidentally electrocuted working underneath his house. And we didn't find his body until that Sunday, and I had driven that Friday. And we suspect that maybe he died somewhere in that time period on Friday, or at least that's what the autopsy said. But um, I didn't get a chance to tell him that I was coming. I didn't get a chance to tell him that I was sorry and I was ready to, I was ready. Like I, I thought about this on my drive there and when I was getting ready to move to Houston that, you know what, I've been mad at my dad long enough. He has tried, the least I can do is try to try back and hey, now that maybe if we live in the same state, I'll, I'll have my daddy again. Well, because of my mother, she didn't want to let my father know or alert him because she didn't want to see him that I was moving back to Texas. So when I was moving back to Texas, I was actually going to go stay with his brother, like my uncle. And, you know, my uncle was in on it and I'm pretty sure he didn't like it. But, you know, he he kept his word. No one told my dad. But hindsight is always twenty twenty. I think if I would have told my dad that I was coming in that Friday I knew he would have called out of work or he would have came to see me or I think it's very possible that he still would have been alive and I hate that. I hate that I held that grudge with him for so long and when I was ready to let it go, um, he was taken from me by the circle of life, you know. I can only hope that he wasn't in pain for too long, that it was just sudden and that it was quick. His body really was charred so bad that we had to cremate him. We couldn't do a casket or anything like that, you know, which sucked. But, and then it was just a really weird situation to go through. My mother was more upset. She wasn't empathetic or compassionate, really, which didn't help. I didn't cry for the first week. I didn't know how to. I kind of didn't want to. I was like, well, you know, I was already kind of used to him not being around anymore. You know, the summers in Texas had stopped, you know, almost half a decade ago. I kept trying to convince myself that, you know, I was really okay. And uh, I didn't cry until the day of the funeral. 
because I realized that, you know, the shit was real. And I'll be honest with you, they did it inside some small hot-ass church in Port Arthur, memorial service or whatever. And I ended up just going to sleep in the front row with my mom because the whole, you know, stomping and clapping, you know, I'm not a big church person. I actually never liked church. It's a weird place. It's always weirded me out. Um, <laughs> some things in there just never felt right to me. Um, I knew that I knew enough about my father to knew that that's not what he would have wanted, but I didn't bother being involved in any of the burial um, proceedings or even cleaning out his house. And I remember when he died, um, my uncle came to me. He said, hey, me, your aunt, and some other people, we're going to go clean out your dad's house. Do you want to come? I said, nah, I'm not going to go. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure I'm not going to go. And I didn't go. Um, I didn't feel the need to try to figure anything out or have anything of his after already having him, if that made any sense. I had beautiful, beautiful memories of riding on his back, play fighting, learning how to change my first tire, getting beat by him. And then him telling me, you know, why he felt the need to discipline me. I didn't need to rummage through relics of his life to still feel like I could remember him, you know. So my family ended up taking, I guess, whatever they wanted. And I ended up, like, getting a box of things that I thought I wanted to keep of his. But I ended up just, like, leaving it at my uncle's house or whatever. Um... One of my aunts and uncles ended up giving me my dad giving me my dad's old wallet. I guess he had lost one previously or something. Like I really don't even know how they ended up with it. And they were like, we don't know how we got it, but they gave it to me. Uh, the only thing of my father's I kept because my mother asked me to get it was he had this ammunition box of all these photos of me from a baby. He actually kept all the letters, all the cards that I would send him. You know, really at the early points of when my father got separated from my mom and we would still communicate that made me feel like he did love me well he loved me I knew he did he was just a young guy and he was put in a weird situation with uh, my mother which isn't an easy person to deal with either because I've had to deal with her but the worst part about dealing or grieving my father's death was actually in 2016 I had just moved back to Houston. My wife, who was just my girlfriend at the time, had just gotten here in Houston with me in, I want to say, like May or June of that year. And this is my first Christmas. And, you know, my, my aunt, my uncle, I'm not going to call any names, but they asked me to come over and, you know, on Christmas Day and kick it with them. And I'm excited because, you know, I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe this is another uh, opportunity to make myself a relevant family member and to know what this whole family camaraderie thing is about. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, my aunt ends up giving me, like, one of my dad's, like, half-deflated um, footballs and his domino set. They're talking hot and heavy about my dad dad and then eventually my aunt corners me about taking my dad's ashes 
Granted, I already said I didn't want anything of his. I had told them for numerous years, and even when he passed when I was 24, that, you know, you guys can put him in the VA memorial. You can put them with our grandmother. Like, you guys can do whatever you want, but, like, he hasn't been in my life for quite some time, so why are y'all making a dead person relevant in my life right now? I don't, I don't get it. I get how the argument could go, well, that's your father, but the argument could equally go for me, well, that's your brother. Right? Like, he was your brother before he was my father. All of you were his cousins and aunts and uncles before he was ever my father. And that is just simply how I landed on it with it. Needless to say, I can't remember what I scribbled on a piece of paper verbatim, but I told them, hey, um, after this, could you not give me any more of my father's things, throw them out, dispose of them, but I don't want to be bothered with this anymore. So the next morning, you know, very angry, very agitated of having to relive the the grief or the death of my father again, having this responsibility brought back up in my face, you know, a good solid, you know, five, six something, seven, seven years after his death, I'm just enraged with, I thought we were done with this. I thought, whose family does this? My family does this? Everyone family? Is this what family... Like, this can't be possibly what family do, they do to one another when someone dies, like, in, in this circumstance. I'm like, you know, I'm, I still kind of really don't know what to do. But my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she was like, hey, just go get the ashes and, you know, be done with it. So it is at that point that I, I get the ashes and, you know, his death birth certificate said he was from Galveston, Texas. So I went out to Galveston real early, real early in the morning. I didn't want to disturb people. I wanted my privacy. I dug a really deep hole. Well, not too deep. I mean, deep for me, digging at the beach is like two feet. <laughs> and I remember that I put his ashes in there and covered it up with sand. And it was a oddly foggy morning but I finally grieved. I cried. I was really still upset and frustrated with my quote-unquote family that had decided to do something like this on Christmas Day. And then I had to deal with that the day after Christmas. Eh, Christmas is a made-up holiday, but all of my memories from my adolescence around Christmas were typically, you know, very joyfully filled and whether we were poor, we had money, or we were doing well or not, I remembered Christmas still being fun. I loved the smell of pine. I loved banana nut bread, gingerbread, all the things and the nostalgia that accompanies the Christmas spirit. I actually enjoy. But forever from this moment forward, even as I try to forget sometimes, um, my, my streak of having good Christmases kind of ended here <laughs> on this day. Um, and it sucked and it hurt. And I learned a lot in that instance, though. I learned to further not have expectations for people, regardless of their title or hierarchy or what you would feel they would honor and recognize as their positions and relations to me inside of a family 
that I just should not have any expectations, when, even when it comes to life and death decisions. It took my younger wife to give me the love and empathy and compassion and tolerance and patience and guidance that I thought I was going to receive from my family when dealing with my father's death, being that that was one of their own as well. And him and I had not spoken for several years. And I had to be the one to basically put my father's ashes or remains to rest. It, it hurt. I felt even more abandoned in that moment than before from when I was getting yanked from one side of the country to the other side of the country in between not necessarily a custody battle but just a moral of just a a matter of like still trying to I guess them trying to co-parent in a sense some very weak attempts at it but once I did what I did it made it even easier and it brought me back to a place of I didn't need or ever want his things. I have the memories of that amazing man who loved me. And he wasn't a great parent, but he absolutely wasn't by any means horrible. Our relationship dynamics changed. He didn't know how to deal with some things. I didn't know how to deal with some things. And we were just in a situation together. But now that he's no longer here, he can no longer not be here. He can't come back and leave again. And I can only hope that wherever he's vibing at, that he's happy. And whether or not you believe in, you know, angel spirits or whatever, the time that I had with my dad and my reality and my life and my experience for the brief few years that I had him. I got to say that I had a live living father for 24. Most people don't get to say that. And kudos to people who've had their fathers longer. But I get to say that, you know, he may not have been there for all 24, but the few that he were, or that he was, um, he was good to me. And I loved him for it. So we all grieve differently. We all go through things differently. Sometimes you think that you might have, you know, certain people in your corner sometimes, but you don't. And I'm glad and thankful again that my father taught me self-reliability. And I don't care how my family feels, if they listen to this or not. Um, Most of them. Uh, they don't really talk to me that much. I really talk to maybe like four of them, and, I, and it's, it's the ones I like, <laughs> which is fair, which is fair. I think that's fair. And, you know, those that have spoken to me about it, they were like, well, you know, they're kind of like the the further off, like cousins, not anybody like immediately like my aunt or my uncle or, you know, grandmother or grandfather, things like that. But, like, the cousins that are kind of further down the line in the family that were like, well, yeah, we knew your dad, and, you know, that's messed up, and if you need us, we're here. I appreciate those people, but it was the people who were the closest to me that dropped the, that I felt that dropped the ball with this. But it wasn't your, I guess, it wasn't their responsibility to do anything 
except make sure that I got my dad's ashes. So, it took me a long time to grieve, but I'm glad that I did. It took me a long time to understand the dynamics of me and my father's relationship, but now I do. And even though he's no longer here with me, a lot of the life lessons or the knowledge that he's given me, I'm able to still use and be successful and be a little bit ahead of the curve sometimes because he did invest a certain level of love and guidance to me. So I love you, Dad, and I'm okay. And I'm proud of you too. All right, I want to thank all of you guys for going down the rabbit hole with me today. I really appreciate it. If you could, and if you want to support the Stop Doing Things You Don't Like daily mantra and movement, you can head on over to my website and check out laruart.com shop. I've got hoodies, pillowcases, notebooks, t-shirts, decals, all priced between $4 and $25. Super affordable to just help me spread the message. Also, this one's for free. If you want to go over to my Instagram and give me a shout out and a follow over there, I do follow back at mo underscore larue art that's going to be my instagram handle that you can find me at and finally i do have a youtube channel with a few of my films and documentaries and you know my art of course over there for you guys to check out thank you guys and i love you